<clears throat> we had a bit of a glitch there in the in the printing of the order of service. Uh, the New Testament reading is not the prayer of illumination, but it's Philippians 1, 1 through 11. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me there. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. As you turn there, I'll remind you, this is one of those prison epistles. If you have a Bible that has a little introductory note there, it it probably says something like, uh, probably written in Rome around A.D. 60. Uh, That's because we don't know for sure. It seems to line up with that imprisonment in the book of Acts on the second missionary journey of our Lord, uh, of, of Paul on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read those first 11 verses. Inerrant, infallible, the only word that we have from God to his people so that we might know what we're to believe concerning God and what God requires of us to do for him. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of of God. The Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word for his people here tonight. Father, thank you for your word. We ask now as we finish this, this little series that you would again bless it, <clears throat> that you might use it, that we might not be like the statistics, but that we might be like the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we might be an example, not that we would receive praise, but that you might receive all glory and praise. We love you and pray that even tonight, if someone in this room is is not in Christ, their faith is not real, that Christ is not their only Savior, we pray, Father, that you might use this this brief time to bring them to yourself and transform them 
into a beautiful trophy of grace that you and only you can create. We ask this in Christ's name, in the presence of your spirit, amen. This all started with me uh, looking to, to fill these Sunday evenings when Sean was going to be away. And that coincided with me seeing the 2022 State of Theology published by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. They do that every two years. <clears throat> I was struck how much worse things became in that two-year period. Uh, to where that uh, as they as they canvassed uh, those that they were surveying, they asked them if they believed that all people were born sinners or innocent, and some seventy percent of the average Joe on the street, unchurched, said, "No, everybody is innocent." Every, I'm okay, you're okay. Well, okay, we wouldn't be too upset about that. We wouldn't expect them because that's what they hear from reality television. But then when they turn to the evangelical church, 67% gave the same answer as unbelievers. That we are born Good innocent. So I read that and I looked at some of the others that the questions they'd ask and saw the numbers and saw how much the evangelical church answered like the world answers. And I thought it'd be good to revisit this again, like I did about, uh, about eight years ago now. So, uh, this is the last, that one, that series was, uh, was 10 weeks. This one's only four. We're jumping right to this tonight, and that is, so okay, we know, we know the state of the church is pathetic. It's, it's anemic. It's, it's not fatally anemic. I can say that because God will always have a church. But it's anemic. It's in serious trouble. But we saw what the answer is, is, is just the gospel. The true faith to be believed being proclaimed. You know, there's hardly a week that I preach at the chapel, room C, at Morgan County Correctional, one of the inmates, not always saying, but one of the inmates will come up to me and say, do you understand, I go to all these other ministries, do you understand how, how strange this sounds to most people? This that you're preaching to us from the Gospel of John? Do you understand that this is not what we hear in any of the other chapels? That's not me, folks. That's men who are sitting and listening and observing. That just coincides with what we're hearing from these studies. 
the true faith to be believed. And what is really true, genuine, saving faith? It's not simply signing a card saying, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. Many will say in that last day, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things for you? And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. We're talking about the difference between possessing genuine faith and professing a false faith or a feigned faith. Then we saw that, well, the problem is sin. And we looked at the great enablers of sin, the great advocates of sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then last time we looked at the biblical response to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that's a radical repentance. That's the putting off and the putting on, putting off of sin, putting on of righteousness, bearing the fruits of righteousness. It's not simply being remorseful. It's not simply saying, I'm sorry, though it includes those things. It includes a recognition of an admission of sorrow, but it's also then turning to Christ in faith and bearing fruit. Jesus used the the. The example of the tree that was standing there, beautiful, but not bearing fruit. When we first moved out to Birchville, there was this little dogwood tree in the backyard. And it was beautiful shape. It was young, beautiful, but it didn't bloom. And it didn't bloom. And I was this close to cutting it down. And I thought of that parable. And I fertilized it. Because we live out there on the edge of the water. It's hard to grow stuff on rock. And while that little tree would look pretty. Indeed it was beautiful up until the heat of summer. And then it would start crinkling and losing its leaves early. And I thought for the first two summers, oh it's dead. Then I began to, to care for it. And now it's full of blooms, doing just what God made dogwood trees to do, and that's to bloom their head off in the springtime and be beautiful. And that's what repentance brings. Beautiful blooms, beautiful righteousness. Well, that's where we have arrived. And so now we want to look at what it's like to live the way we're supposed to live. Living lives of faith and repentance. And this follows on the fact that another one of the things that these surveys find, and this has been, been true for many years now, is that there is a trend away from church membership and away from attendance. Remember when we looked at the local work that was done for Knox County just a few short years ago? And what they asked was, do you attend church regularly, parenthesis, at least one service per month? That was regular. And do you remember how many said they did? It was just under 19% of people who claimed to be born again Evangelical Christians in Knox County. 19% attend once a month 
Well, that goes along with what we're seeing. There are churches all around us that do not even have a membership requirement. There's no accountability. There's no church discipline. And I'm going to tell you something else. When I talk to those people around town, there's no communion of saints. Because look, if you don't attend church, if you're not a member, if you're not, if you're not committed, you're not going to commune with them. I came early today out in the parking lot. There was, there was a mom with her children. And they were uh, using our basketball goal out there. She asked if it's okay. I said, sure, it's fine. I gave her a church brochure. I gave her an ultimate question. I gave her a table talk. Invited her to worship. She told me where she'd been going to church. And as soon as she told me, I knew that there'd be no commitment on her part because they don't require commitment. Because they're a church per their own, their own advertisements that fits your lifestyle. So if you don't have membership and you don't have accountability, you don't have attendance, then you're not going to have any communion of saints. I mean, think about it. If you're attending one time a month, who could you possibly know at any kind of communing level? Well, this passage tells us just how important the church is. And so the title, Shaping the Christian Life. Shaping the Christian Life, that is, shaping the life so that we can properly and, and faithfully face the world, the flesh, and the devil, and it has to be within the body of Christ. It cannot be out there. Can't be in a deer stand. I was just told there's a country song, that's his church, the deer stand. Can't be. So the Apostle Paul is writing, and by the way, He has the same heart for the church that the psalmist had, how he longed. Remember what he is here. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, he says. That's exactly what we heard the psalmist say, isn't it? How I long to go up again with the throngs and worship my great God. Three points. The first is this. The Christian life rests upon God's gifts. The Christian life rests upon God's gifts. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, remember overseers, that includes, that's the bishops, and bishops have the role of ruling, elders, and they have the role of pastor. You find that in 1 Peter chapter 5, clearly. You find that in Acts chapter 20, 17 and following, clearly. They're not distinct Offices, they're one office with those three modes of functionality the overseer, the ruler, the pastor, and deacons. This was the way God made it the church to be cared for by the, by the elders and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here the primacy of the blessing. Paul begins 
by blessing the church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he encourages, before he, before he admonishes, before he does anything else, he blesses them. And he does it, notice, to all the saints. And he includes there the overseers and the deacons. But then he says, grace to you. Grace is of the essence and primacy. The unmerited favor of God is our great need. Christ Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's unmerited favor toward sinners. So when we read in the scriptures, grace to you, we're reading Christ to you. You're in need of Christ. And of course, Paul preached Christ and him crucified. That was his first message. And here he blesses them with this grace. In other words, <clears throat> he's, he's from God to these people as the great apostle. He is lavishing upon them all that Christ has done for them. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's where you need to start every morning, fresh and new, with a reminder that we have in Christ Jesus all we need, all we could ask. Now, we just spend the whole sermon on grace and peace, but we can't. I want to cover the whole portion tonight as we wrap this series up. He moves grace and he moves logically to peace, grace and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is the satisfaction of knowing God is not angry with you. It's second, living with the perfect knowledge that you are reconciled to a thrice holy God. And third, all we need is at his disposable and available for his people. The word peace is that Old Testament shalom. And it encompassed everything you could possibly need. It wasn't just that, as we saw this morning, peace that passes understanding. Although it includes that, that calm, that assurance. But it's everything. We pray in the model prayer for everything we need. And he has promised us. The reason we pray that is because he's promised it to us. So we're just acknowledging to God when we pray for our daily bread, when we pray that we not be led in temptation, when we pray for his kingdom to come, when we pray all those petitions, we're just simply praying what he's promised. And we're acknowledging to God that we know we need that. And we know this world needs that. We're agreeing with God. In chapter 4 in Ephesians let me read you a few. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He starts here in chapter 1 with that blessing. Peace. And then he gets to the last chapter, and there it comes up again. We need that. We live in a, a world that's not full of peace. 
We live in a hostile world and we need that. And so Paul begins with that before he does anything else. Grace and peace from God. He wants you to know who the source is. He doesn't possess it. Folks, listen. If you're struggling, if you're struggling with peace, if you're struggling with with conflicts, no one can help you with that. It's amazing to me when people struggle and they start they start surveying friends to see if they can get a friend to agree with them when the only one who can give them grace and peace is God. But we do this, don't we? It's easy for us to fall in this trap. For everything in this world, our first place to go should be God. Not the medicine cabinet, not the doctor, not the Google search line, but to God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, are we opposed to medication and doctors? And No. But if that's our first turn, then we're not realizing who really is the great physician. Our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace to you from them, Paul says. Grace alone brings us to peace. And it's just God's grace and it's his peace. Well, with that said... Paul then moves on and we see that the Christian life then, according to Paul, revolves around God's people, verses three through eight. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm not going to ask you this convicting question. But how often do you thank God for every remembrance of one another? Did you see that? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul knew a lot of folks, folks. Paul got around. He was the the apostle to the Gentiles responsible for establishing so many, many churches. And yet, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer. He's in prison. And how does he get through this? He gets through it praying and remembering the saints. He has this passion, doesn't he, for the saints? That's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Are we as passionate about the church, our fellow saints, as the Apostle Paul was? 
Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. It's obvious that he is. I thank my God in every remembrance, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he prays for them that more and more their love will abound with knowledge and discernment. And I'm going to suggest to you that Paul, because of his busy schedule, probably didn't know these people at Philippi as well as you know one another in this congregation. And yet his affection was for them. Can you imagine if you only attended one service, a morning or an evening service? Could you write that? Could you honestly say that? Could you pray that prayer? I know Kurt, this has to be one of the prayers that he works through in the, in the prayer series recently. But that's, no, you, you, you couldn't honestly pray that prayer if you went to one service once a month. But I would say also that you could go every week and still just kind of ease in and ease out and not know people also. So here, the encouragement to us is, and the corrective is, if we need it, is to get to know one another. It's just the communion of saints. Two weeks after Brad Isbell finishes his second installment on the church, I'll be doing the communion of saints portion of the Westminster Confession in the, in the uh, adult Sunday school class. And for those of you who are in the new members class sitting here, you're confused. Don't be, just come into the adult Sunday school class because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to weave those last two lessons that we talked about this morning into the Sunday school class on the communion of saints easy enough. Well, that's enough convicting. Next, Paul expresses his confidence in their common union with Christ and with one another. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Notice, there's a vertical work. I'm convinced that he who began a good work in you, obviously God is the one that began this good work in you. But what is it that God begins in us? He begins the salvific work. But that salvific work is not only faith and repentance to believe in Christ, but it's also Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are to go about doing all those good works which he created us for. And what's that? That's a horizontal work. So the vertical work of God working in us will always play itself out in the horizontal work of us for one another. And that's the communion of saints, or at least a part of it. If you ever struggle with doubts about your standing, by the way, your standing before God, this is a marvelous passage to go to, isn't it? I don't know how anyone could read this verse. I'm sure of this. The Apostle Paul doesn't say, I think, or... 
We received as PCA elders this week a survey. I'm not going to even say where it was from because it's too embarrassing to say that it was from the PCA. And every question on the survey said, do you feel like? And I didn't fill it out because I didn't feel like it. I didn't know how I, I didn't know how I felt about some of those things. It was the most confusing thing. Notice what Paul says here. He doesn't say, I feel like he who began a good work, or I think perhaps, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Folks, if you struggle with your assurance, you need to pocket this one. You need to go back to this. If there's a struggle, this is a problem on your part, not God's. You need, to, you, need to, you need to figure this out. Is my faith in Christ? If my faith is in Christ and not in me or in my parents, but my faith is in Christ, then this is going to take away your problems, your doubt. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Notice Paul's expressing his confidence that they're partakers with him in grace. So he's encouraging them because he's known their works. He's known what they were doing. And he goes on to say, did you notice that they've not only been partners with Paul in his sufferings, both in my imprisonment, but also in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, I'm going to say this one time because I don't want it to be terribly convicting. The defense and the confirmation of the gospel is not just for the apostle and it's not just for the ministers and the elders of the church. Did you notice who he's saying this to? He's saying this to the overseers and the deacons, but he's also saying it to all the saints at Philippi. We all are to be engaged in the defense and the confirmation of the God. That's the public defense and the public confirmation of the gospel. We're all to be telling people you don't have to be a trained person to do this. It's as simple as Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Do you know that Jesus? Paul says they've been defending the gospel, they've been confirming the gospel with their lives and their words because they were partakers with him of the grace of God. That's what Christians do we're in union with one another we're doing good works with one another because God has done a good work in us and God is doing a good work in us and God will shall do a good work in us then the last thing Paul says that the Christian life 
the corporate Christian life, which this is obviously about since it's written to all the saints, the Christian life, the church life, is about glorifying God. That's how he closes it out, isn't it? In verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. And, here's where he turns, It's my prayer that your love, and that's that agape love, it's not a hormonally driven love, it's none of that. It is not a psychological love, it's not an emotional love of sorts. It's that sacrificial love of God that abounds in us. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This is not a love that's without direction. This is not a love that is is not based on the facts. This is a love that's bound up in the knowledge of God and discernment that's available to us by the Holy Spirit. And for this reason, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Here we are, that ongoing repentance in our lives that comes through Jesus Christ. And why? To the glory and praise of God. What's the purpose of our lives? What's the purpose of our communion? What's the purpose of our prayers? The purpose of everything in our life, individually and corporately, is right there, to the glory and praise of God. What's our chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is just, this is just a summary, really, uh, of, of, of the communion of saints. Who we are in Christ. What we're to be doing for one another, with one another. And how our communion then bleeds over out into the public in our defense and our confirmation of the gospel. Everything God does for us and in us and through us in this place on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays when we gather to, to, to in, in this oasis on Wednesday. It's all for the glory of God and it's to prepare us as saints, one with another, to live in this world. And be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us and not say things like, oh, I think everybody's born innocent. No, I think once a month is enough. With knowledge and discernment, we live this Christian life full of love you kind of get the sense that Paul really cared that this was not this was not something incidental this was not some add on this thing the church and this thing about communion but it was real to him and it was essential to Paul And let's not forget, this was not just a man's opinion. This was God's opinion expressed through the Apostle Paul. This is how the church recovers from its present low state. No doctrine, that is K-N-O doctrine, hates sin, 
love the church, live in communion, both with our God and with one another, then we'll have something to offer the world. My friend Joey Piper is fond of saying that if the church lived this kind of life, we would be making people jealous for what we have. They would want to be with us if we were living this kind of communal lifestyle that bleeds over into the world. Well, let's ask the Lord to give us that so that we can bring glory and praise to our God. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us, and we ask now that you bless this evening for your glory and your praise and for our good as we go about this week defending the faith and confirming the gospel in the presence of others. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen.